You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 55, Caffeine. What does a cup of coffee, a bar of chocolate, cola nuts, Dr. Pepper, and Dr. Kim Hellman's have in common? You guessed it, they all contain caffeine. So let's get started. Kim, what what exactly is caffeine? (laughs) Well, caffeine is a substance uh, that belongs to a family of compounds called methylxanthines. Oh boy, you're already starting with the big words, Kim. I know, but it can't be helped when we're talking brain chemistry. Okay, well, we, we do need, let's have a little content warning, <laughs> a big name content warning. I'm sure our listeners are eager to learn more. So tell us more about methylexamethylenes. <laughs> nice try. I think I heard the word laxatives in there. Anyway, no, it's methylxanthines. And uh, just also a, a caveat that I do not contain methylxanthines. I'm not caffeinated. Well, I actually am because I'm drinking Aren't you coffee. drinking coffee right You're now? You're right. Yeah, I am. You got me. Okay, so you got it. Let's talk about methylxanthines, uh, which are derived mostly from plants. So like a lot of substances and drugs, they're botanical in origin. And so we classify these as alkaloids. Uh, some of them include these methylxanthines. See, I can't even say it. The methylxanthines include caffeine, theophylline, and theobromine. And uh, you can find them in beverages such as coffee and tea and foods like chocolate. So chocolate contains theobromine. And we actually uh, use them in medications. So things um, like asthmatic medications include theophylline. So it's uh, actually really beneficial. It um, causes dilation of your bronchioles. Yeah. So all these all these have something in common then? Yeah, they all have stimulant properties, meaning they increase alertness to varying degrees, right? Or they act, uh, you know, one thing that we can say that's pretty simple is they all sort of act like adrenaline, right? So caffeine in particular is a central nervous stimulant. It increases alertness, but at the same time, if you if you drink too much caffeine or consume too much caffeine, it will reduce fine motor coordination and can lead to things like insomnia and uh, nervousness or dizziness. So going back to your earlier statement, uh, caffeine ultimately comes from plants, right? Yep. We can find caffeine in lots of different types of seeds and leaves. Is that because somehow for these plants, it's adaptive that we get wired when we eat them? Yes and no. Maybe, right? Uh, The primary reason it's there is actually because bugs don't like it, right? So a lot of these alkaloid substances, they're very bitter, they're toxic, they taste bad. So plants have evolved to have it um, within them to repel insects or species that could um, consume them and and kill them off, right? So there's actually an interesting study by a scientist named Geraldine Wright, and she looked at bees and found that the caffeine in nectar actually caused them to remember where the plants were um, much better than if they were uh, consuming non-caffeinated nectars. Wow. And, but, you know, I will note, though, that the fact that humans love caffeine so much, now that caffeine is adaptive. And that's why there's coffee plants and tea plantations all over the world, because it is now, it is adaptive, right? And and even, like, increasing amounts of caffeine might even be adaptive. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, it might feel like caffeine's always been around, but human humanity actually had to discover it. Now, we mm-hmm. think that caffeine was first discovered in China— 
about a thousand years before the common era in the form of tea. And what about coffee? That probably came from Ethiopia, we think around year 850. And mm -hmm. legend has it that some herder noticed his goats were fidgety after eating Arabica plant berries. Uh, and he gave the berries to a monk who used them to make the world's first cup of coffee. <laughs> but definitely not the last. No, no, not the last. And one estimate says that the world drinks about 1.4 billion cups of coffee every day. And more than 90% of people on Earth consume caffeine every single day. And even kids drink caffeine. Yeah, in things like soda, right? Or pop. It's mm -hmm. interesting to think that what what this effect has had on, on our culture, right? Yeah, Michael, Michael Pollan goes into this in his audiobook. It's called Caffeine. And it's a good book. It's short. It's only available on audio, Audible. Um, and it turns out that in Europe, before coffee and tea became popular, most people drank alcohol. What? All day? Like, even with breakfast? <laughs> yes, even children drank alcohol. Like, that was their main drink. I'm going to assume it's because the water wasn't safe or something. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So alcohol, for all its problems, <laughs> does have the benefit of killing pathogens in the water, right? So people would drink beer and wine all day. And it's probably diluted, but still, they, you know, they're a little bit sauced. Pollen says people were, like, kind of buzzed basically every single day. Yeah, buzzed in a different way, right? Because now we're buzzed by consuming lots of coffee and tea, which has become more dominant. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So coffee and tea then became part of the culture, and and that requires boiling, right? So boiling is another way to kill pathogens. Oh, because you God, basically have to yeah. you basically have to boil water to make coffee or tea. It actually served the same evolutionary and health function, right? Um, but you didn't you weren't drunk all the time, right? So as coffee and tea replaced alcohol as the drink of choice, not only were people less drunk, but now they're buzzing in the other direction. Mm -hmm. So, like, you would have learned in our alcohol episode, for those that haven't listened to it, uh, alcohol is actually, at more moderate doses, is a central nervous system depressant, um, mm. whereas caffeine and methylxanthines uh, are the opposite. They're stimulants, so they increase mental energy and memory. Right. And so then, you know, they started to create coffee houses. Now, coffee houses started in the Arab world um, and then became popular all across Europe. And according to Pollen, that encouraged, it actually encouraged enlightenment thinking. So it's, you know, uh, there are coffee houses dedicated to science and others to finance and stuff. Um, so, you know, they, they think that there's people who think that uh, all this caffeine actually helped people think more intellectually and not be, you know, uh, sluggish drunks, but they're like, caffeinated intellectuals. <laughs> and some take this even further, suggesting that the Industrial Revolution was in no small part due to a caffeinated society. The Industrial Revolution, really? <laughs> yes, the Industrial Revolution. It turns out that even the first stock exchange happened in a coffee house. Now, people didn't have places to trade the, the pieces of paper that shares were printed on, and coffee houses just happened to become the place where the trades happened. And then people had increased energy during the workday because of coffee and tea, right? Right, and that made them more productive. Anyway, I, I, I feel like it can't be a good thing that we give caffeine to children, though, Kim. Do you? <laughs> no, yeah. Well, it's not great. So I think there's good research that shows that consumption of soft drinks, primarily like the 70s and 80s, uh, among children surged. And to the point where in the 1990s, we're seeing like levels that are almost comparable to adults. And the challenge is... Um, 
children obviously have a lower body weight. Uh, they have a lower muscle mass. Um, and this means higher concentrations in children with the same degree of sensitivity. And consuming caffeine and cola beverages or sodas might be one thing. But the other issue that has emerged as the consumption of caffeine in these so-called energy drinks, which, you know, there may be some young kids that are drinking that, but that's also like youth, right? Youth age, teens. Oh, God. Do yeah. kids, are kids drinking energy drinks? Yeah, well, they're heavily marketed, right? Think of it like Red mm. Bull and Monster and all that. I'm not sure the actual numbers, but there have been incidences of either accidental or unintentional toxic exposures with energy drinks in kids. Even there's some reports of under the age of six. So it's worth noting um, if we're talking about caffeine, a typical eight ounce cup of brewed coffee contains about 80 milligrams of caffeine, a 12 ounce can of Coke, about 49 milligrams, and a 16 ounce can of Monster contains 160 milligrams. But that said, a venti sized or 20 ounce cup of coffee at Starbucks or a Starbucks blend contains about 400 um, milligrams of caffeine. So it really does vary how much caffeine there are in these products, but these these energy drinks, they not only contain caffeine, but they also contain sugar and sometimes these other compounds um, that are proprietary in nature and that are there to to increase energy levels, right? Wow. So Coke is like kind of a low caffeine density compared to Starbucks coffee. Yeah. Right. Shockingly, right? And you, you said there were some, like, uh, instances of problems. Like, can you actually die from, like, a caffeine overdose? Yes, but it's very rare, and you need to have consumed a heck of a lot. Um, but it can lead, if in very, very high quantities, I think it's, like, 200 cups of coffee, I've heard. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> a bi- this biologist friend of mine likes to say, everything's everything is poisonous, it's just a matter of dosage. <laughs> right. Well, he's right, because it's solit la dosit facet venom, said Paracelsus, right? Oh, my that's God. Only- no, no, that, was, that was gratuitous big words, kid. you got to admit, that was <laughs> a just gratuitous. Latin in the that morning, was not, right? That was, that was not chemistry, that was just... <laughs> no, yeah, it's just me showing That's off. That's showing off. <laughs> yeah, but it just it, that is exactly what it translates to. Uh, only the dose makes the poison, right? So even if you drink okay. a lot of water, you could die. Right. right. Anyway, right. Um, so back to caffeine. So it, because it's a stimulant and it's mimicking adrenaline, um, too much adrenaline, and you can see this even with cocaine or other stimulants. What it does is it ca- it can lead to cardiac arrest, right? So, okay. um, symptoms of caffeine overdose can be relatively mild. So, your shaky hands, you have this upset stomach, to more severe, which in this case is, you know, excess cardiac activity, high blood pressure, uh, seizures, and possibly coma. So, back to kids, like toxicologists don't really know how much is too much, um, but there are these reports of caffeinism in adults. Now, caffeinism, there's a word I haven't heard. You know, the ism makes it sound like a, an ideology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we all uh, subscribe to the philosophy of caffeinism, right? Yeah. <laughs> Back to those coffee houses. Um, yeah, so caffeinism just refers to this, uh, like, overdose or overuse of caffeine, right? So at doses of roughly above 100 milligrams or a gram a day, you get this delirium, excitement, you're ringing in your ears, flashes of light. You may even get a low-grade fever, chilliness, flushing, insomnia, obviously, irregular heartbeat, and a loss of appetite. So, okay. importantly, like some people will report these these uh, symptoms, and they may feel like they're having a panic attack or they're having too much anxiety, but um, 
the way that we know that it's not that is it doesn't necessarily it wouldn't necessarily respond to things like tranquilizers or or medications that would normally quell anxiety. So the treatment is you get rid of caffeine. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so if a if a venti the venti is the biggest Starbucks. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Or, is that the yeah. grande? Or okay. No, so, it's okay. tall. So if you have grande, three ventis yeah. a day, that would be well over a thousand milligrams. So just to just to yeah. give, I'm just trying to give people right. like a sense of, like right. this, like if you have three ventis in a day, you're probably taking too much, right? Of course, there's individual differences, but yeah, because that's, that's twelve hundred right? milligrams. Yeah. And people have died. Yeah, um, I think there's. Uh, Maybe a handful of deaths been reported in humans. The lethal dose is estimated about 10 grams taken orally. Mm-hmm. And the death is, death occurs due to convulsions and respiratory collapse. Yeah, well, yikes. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned alcohol. Is there is there like an interaction between alcohol and, and caffeinated drinks? Yeah, there's a bit of literature now looking at some of these toxic outcomes or adverse outcomes when... Um, teens, young adults consume uh, these, um, there's now these beverages, right, that are, have both alcohol and they have caffeine in them, right? Oh, really? So, yeah. So, <laughs> it's less in kids, more more so in young adults, but people may feel less intoxicated and that's um, kind of dangerous because your alcohol-related impairment of psychomotor functions, so your ability to drive a car, for example, is still present. So we talk about this phenomena of being like wide awake drunk. Like you're oh. you're still intoxicated, but you're alert and you're stimulated as well. And this can be dangerous because it can be a misattribution of your intoxication. Right. So you feel less you feel just as drunk, but you feel less drunk because of the caffeine. Yeah. 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 So I guess like a rum and coke counsels that kind of thing, right? Like, you get the... Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Um, Well, okay. What do you say, Kim, that we move on to your favorite content? Effects on the brain. Yay! (laughs) Okay, so, yeah. So, let's talk about how caffeine works in the brain. Um, It's a little bit different than some of the other substances that tend to interact with more commonly known neurotransmitter systems like dopamine and serotonin. So, caffeine actually works on a different system in the brain and a different neurotransmitter known as adenosine. And adenosine uh, tends to, it's released throughout the day. And what scientists believe is it sort of builds up throughout the day and uh, interacts with circuits in the brain that are responsible for sleep. So as adenosine builds up, we tend to feel more and more uh, sleepy. And if adenosine is binding to these receptors, its receptors in the brain, it kind of inhibits and quiets down uh, the nervous system. So over over the course of the day, getting adenosine, building up, and then uh, leading to uh, overall senses of sleepiness, and then activating circuits in the brain that control um, sleep. So I want to mention here that we do have an episode on sleep where we talk about adenosine's role and the circadian rhythm on sleep. So if you want to learn more about sleep and adenosine, you can check that out. Nice plug. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so adenosine leads to sedation. It also um, dilates your blood vessels, so makes them bigger. And what happens is if caffeine is ingested, it actually blocks those receptors in the brain. 
And this prevents adenosine from binding, and therefore it has a stimulatory effect, right? So you can imagine if you're kind of getting sleepy, you take, uh, you know, you get your venti uh, cappuccino. What's happening is adenosine is traveling from your um, bloodstream up into your brain, or not adenosine, caffeine is, sorry. And then what it does is it occupies those adenosine receptors so you feel more alert and less sleepy. Okay, so caffeine makes you more alert, basically. Yeah, uh, so arousal is one of the effects, but it also, um, caffeine will increase attention and vigilance, right? So um, it's it's allowing you to sit in lecture at 8.30 in the morning and listen to your professor droning on about caffeine. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> like with most substances, however, there are differing effects depending on the dose, so at lower doses with caffeine, you get this nice sort of, you know, boost in alertness, you're more attentive, but if you consume more and more, you actually have declining function in some things, right? So that's that sort of jitteriness in your hands, your fine motor skills are impacted. This is why neurosurgeons and other surgical specialties, they really um, don't like uh, individuals consuming lots of caffeine because it can affect your ability to, to perform those nice uh, fine motor skills necessary for surgery. Um, so your motor speed, accuracy um, are increased by low doses, but decreased uh, at, at high doses. And what about uh, pharmacokinetics? Are you impressed I remembered that word? I am indeed. Gold star for Jim. <laughs> it's because I listen to Minding the Brain. That's yeah. why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, so caffeine's, yeah. the caffeine's effects are not instantaneous, are they? Like, they have to be digested or right. something? How, so how quickly does caffeine actually take effect? Yeah, so um, yeah, as you said, caffeine needs to be ingested, and the typical way in which we consume caffeine is orally, right? So we drink it, or we eat it, or I think there are caffeine pills that you can get. So what that means is it has to go through the gastrointestinal tract, it's absorbed by your, your stomach, um, your uh, large and small intestine. Part of caffeine is broken down in the liver before it reaches all your other um, organs, including the brain. So what that means is that you're, you're getting a much more slower onset of um, the impact of caffeine on your nervous system. So it starts to rise, peaks around 30 minutes from time of consumption, um, and your half-life varies quite a bit. So the half-life is um, how quickly... Uh, the substance is metabolized or broken down and then excreted, right? So half-life refers to the amount of time it takes for half of the um, the substance to be broken down. And in this case, caffeine sticks around in your system any, anywhere from two hours to nine hours. It's a huge range. Wow. Now, I mean, I talk to people who claim that they can drink a cup of coffee right before bed and nothing mm -hmm. happens. So mm -hmm. there are there are individual differences going on, right? What underlies those? Absolutely. Yeah. So they agreed. Some people don't even get any impact of caffeine, right? They're like, it doesn't do anything to me. Some people are super jittery after one cup. So there's a huge range um, that influences probably the metabolism, the clearance, and the pharmacokinetics of caffeine. So some of them include age. 
uh, sex and gender, hormones, uh, issues with liver function, obesity, smoking, birth control pill, diet, right? So there's all these different factors that influence uh, individual differences in how we break down and metabolize caffeine. And I should also mention caffeine interacts with medi many medications. And we also know, are you ready for this? The pharmacokinetics of caffeine are highly variable due to several known genetic polymorphisms. So, for example, there's one at the level of the CYP1A2 isoform of cytochrome P450, which metabolizes most of caffeine uh, that we ingest. Wow, that would be so amazing if I knew what it meant. <laughs> See, <laughs> I just snowed you with a bunch of acronyms and words and letters. I am snowed. I know. It's good old pharmacokinetics. Anyway, all that means is that um, there's a lot of different enzymes that are involved, obviously, in the breakdown of caffeine. And the, the actual shape of that enzyme, which is a protein can differ between individuals, which can slightly alter its function, right? So it's it's due to very minor differences in genetic inheritance. So some people metabolize it very quickly and others uh, much more slowly. So for those who metabolize it slowly, it can keep you alert a lot longer, right? Yep, absolutely. And that's what could lead to impacts on your sleep. So the, that boost we get from caffeine does have a downside. Right. Yeah. Like all stimulants it can interfere with sleep. So as you mentioned, some you know, most of us are drinking caffeinated products first thing in the morning, right? It's our, you know, it's part of our habit and our routine, but it's also we we started in that because that's the time that we want to be alert. Uh, by contrast, most of us wouldn't want to be consuming large quantities of caffeine right before we go to bed. Um, but that said, people respond to caffeine differently, right? So in general, you know, um, we don't recommend having caffeine late in the afternoon, particularly if you're somebody who uh, who is impacted by caffeine, right? You're a more slowly metabolizer. People do not want to hear that, Kim. I know. <laughs> some, some, some people drink caffeine all day long, and they, they claim it doesn't interfere, interfere with their sleep or anything else. Uh, Isaac Newton was rumored to have drank 72 cups of coffee every day. <laughs> okay, now I know some of our listeners are going to be like, oh, well, he is a smart guy. Maybe that's what it was, right? No, don't interview. No. <laughs> so obviously, Sir Isaac must have had uh, some unique adenosine-related polymorphism. Or it's possible he never slept, right? All right, Kim, can I ask you a personal question? Mm, I guess. What is your relationship with caffeine? Oh, okay. I can answer that. Um, I am a devout. I <laughs> fully subscribe to the Church of Caffeinism. <laughs> so, I, I drink about a cup of caffeinated coffee a day. Like, I try uh, to not overconsume, right? So, I'll have a cup that's caffeinated, and then I'll usually have another decaf coffee at some point. Um, I do want to mention, actually, since we're talking personally, the happiest day of my life. Okay. Now, some people might think it was when I got married or perhaps the birth of my two children, but no, the happiest day of my life was when I found out I won an espresso machine. <laughs> oh, I am. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can't compete with children. No. Well, yeah. Um, so I, I was actually. <laughs> Ryan's pretty great, but he's not I an espresso no, machine. No, he doesn't have I mean. the nice shiny pods. Um, <laughs> I actually participated in like a Carlton event through Carlton Advancement where you had to do an escape room or something online. It was during oh, the pandemic. You're good and, at those. Yeah. And so it was like a win-win. Like, I love escape rooms. I was just 
super happy doing this virtual escape room. And then they entered my name into a draw. And then I got this email saying I had won this fancy Nespresso machine. And it is amazing. I have a friend who's so such a caffeinist that she has a Nespresso machine on her bedside table. What? So she can... She she makes a she like the very first thing she does even before she gets out of bed is she makes a cup of coffee. Wow! It's not that she's drinking them all night, right? Or like no no no, no. it's for the morning. It's for the morning. Oh my gosh! Okay, so what about you, Jim? What's your relationship? Uh, with well, I drink a cup of Vietnamese coffee every morning and then some tea in the afternoon. But I'm finding I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine. In my twenties, mm. uh, I wouldn't have it after 8 p.m. or else I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. But now that I go to bed at 8 p.m. more or less, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. between 9.30 and 10.30 usually. Yeah. Um, we, As we talked about in um, sleep episode, people have different chronotypes, and as you age, you go to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm aging, and I'm going to bed earlier. So now I try not to have caffeine after 3 p.m. Um, mm. So yeah, I tend to teach my class at 2.30. So if I drink a caffeine at like 1.30... It gets me, uh, you know, energy for the class, but it's not so late that uh, it's going to interfere with my sleep too much. Um, Anyway, a study in 1987 by Ziva Kunda, they had people read about the bad effects of caffeine and found that heavy caffeine users were less likely to believe the evidence. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, so I'm I'm curious, what were they saying were the bad effects of caffeine? And do you know? Um, well, they argue that motivational uh, factors produce what we call self-serving biases. Mm. So, you know, you show people uh, that what they like to do is bad, they f- look for reasons to disbelieve it. Oh, okay. right? So, in this case, heavy caffeine users were less likely to believe evidence right. than the low caffeine users were. I-, I find I do this a little bit, too. I have to constantly yeah. swim against my swim upstream against my biases. Yeah, that's in line with a lot of biases that are self-serving, and it reminds me of the data— that we see with cannabis use as well. So, and alcohol, yeah, right? You're, yeah, so you're, speak. yeah. Mm-hmm. I want, yeah, you brought up cannabis um, and alcohol. Like, the is caffeine an addictive? Ooh, that is controversial. It is? It doesn't seem like it would be controversial. I like, know. Everybody, everybody talks about being addicted to caffeine more than like mm. anything else. Yeah. Well, it is, I, I don't, I don't believe it is. I don't believe it's addictive, okay. but but several State of my case. colleagues do. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, so first, it de- depends on how you define addiction, right? So that is really crucial. What is your definition of addiction first? And then does caffeine meet that definition? So you know, here's what I would say, right? Everybody's entitled to their opinions. Mine is one that is grounded in evidence and science. But, I, <laughs> but, but everyone else is welcome to theirs, <laughs> for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's what yours I yours is right, but yes. everybody else has theirs. no. Yeah. I like. I, I do want to have um, a, a showdown with my colleague, Dr. Zach Patterson, because he teaches the psychopharm class at Carleton, and he teaches that caffeine is addictive, and I teach the neural basis of addiction course, and I teach that it is not. So I know, I know, we're terrible, but you know, we want them to form their own opinions, right? So I say, here's what I say, right? You, you're you're welcome to look in the literature and and make an educated um, opinion of your own, right? So anyway, so here's what I say. So addiction, lots of different definitions of what is an addiction. The one that I like is addiction is marked by a loss of control 
over a reward-seeking behavior, right? And this can be uh, you lost reward uh, control over your ability to consume alcohol, uh, your ability to engage in pornography, your ability to consume fatty, rich, caloric foods, right? So this can be to substances or behaviors, right? And I would say um, that is like when we, you know, what does that loss of control look like exactly? Well, then we can turn to what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or DSM, which we've talked about a lot on Minding the Brain. And that has um, within it the substance use and related disorders, which lists specific criteria that are behavioral in nature that an individual must meet in order to have that diagnosis, right? So it's things like tolerance and withdrawal, uh, um, you're taking more than you anticipated, uh, you're spending a lot of time consuming the substance or getting over the withdrawal of that substance, um, you're uh, neglecting your roles, you're not going to school or work, your relationships are breaking down, right? So I would say, okay, when we think about our caffeine intake, are any of us like not going to work because we just want to stay home and drink caffeine? Are any of us, um, you know, taking more, oh, we're escalating intake, we're taking like, we, oh, I was only going to do drink one, I now I've drank 20, right? So um, that is, you know, these loss of control elements, we don't tend to see with caffeine, right? Like, what I would say is like, we don't tend to see people who are like breaking up marriages, losing their homes over their inability to control their caffeine intake. At the level of the brain, right, isn't yeah. it, isn't it true though that some people can't stop drinking it? Like they want to they want to cut down, and when they stop drinking caffeine, but they just can't get themselves to do very, it. Very very rare. I think there was a woman. Oh on, okay. Yeah, I think okay. there was a woman on Oprah that was like years ago. Like this is the one that my students always come. Oh, that woman on Oprah. Like I think it is very very rare, and I would question what else is going on that makes that person that unique. Right. Okay. All right. You know All it's right. like okay. So the other piece that I want to emphasize is the brain data, neuroscience data. Okay. So what we see with most quote-unquote addictive behaviors, so with substances or, you know, some of the things like gambling or uh, internet gaming, uh, there's very um, standard or, or typical ways in which they influence the reward circuits in the brain, uh, those key pathways that are involved in coding for pleasure and driving motivated behaviors. And if you go back to our episodes on addiction and, and um, the brain, like you, you know, you can hear me talk about this in great detail, but for now, just say like one of the key features that is common among all substances and these addictive behaviors is uh, that that part of the brain that normally holds your reward centers silent is called the ventral tegmental area. It fires and releases um, dopamine. It is disinhibited, so it's it it's allowed to fire when we encounter rewarding stimuli in our environment. So it's normally held silent when we eat cake or have sex. It it is disinhibited. It leads to dopamine release and in that key brain region known as the nucleus accumbens. This does not occur with caffeine. At least I can't find that research that shows that caffeine does that. What it does do, however, is it does promote release of dopamine in your prefrontal cortex. And that, we think, is what underlies um, caffeine's ability to produce increased attention, alertness, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So, what is what would be your colleague's counter-argument to this? 
Well, I think some people confuse caffeine uh, addiction with dependence or habit forming, right? Which, yes, it is. I would say you do develop dependence and and habits uh, to caffeine intake, but it's not addictive in the same way as we would see uh, with other substances. And you know, on another hand, like we do see, uh, like the what I would say is a classic uh, with um, dependence is marked by tolerance and withdrawal. So you do get caffeine withdrawal. So every substance um, that is addictive uh, has its own unique withdrawal syndrome that relates to the acute impacts of the drug on the body, right? So alcohol leads to headaches, nausea, um, uh, uh, sleep disturbances, uh, and that's alcohol withdrawal. And that's because... um, when you're consuming alcohol, it vaso di- uh, vasoconstricts. So in withdrawal, it vasodilates, and so on and so forth. Right, um, and this is what we see with caffeine withdrawal. If you're used to consuming uh, caffeine every day, if you skip that, like you don't get your morning cup, um, the first thing you'll notice is a headache, and that's because caffeine, not unlike alcohol does lead to uh, vasoconstriction. And then in withdrawal, you're getting vasodilation. So those blood vessels are are pumping a lot of blood flow and, and you have a headache. But interestingly, how caffeine is somewhat unique to other substances is you don't necessarily develop tolerance to the arousing or alerting effects, which is the key effects of caffeine. Thank goodness, right? So that's what we're not. What I was alluding to earlier. You don't see this escalation of intake. One cup isn't doing it. Now I need two. Two cups isn't doing it. Now I need three. Most of us are getting our alert fix from that one cup of coffee or two cups of coffee coffee that we have every day. And that is again one of the the things that I would argue against caffeine being uh, addictive. But it is, you know, it is habit forming. So. Mm-hmm. So it it seems like there's a very slow. I mean, just from popular and like casual observation, it seems like there's a slow tolerance. Like the first cup of coffee you have and the is is less impactful than the one you have after ten years of drinking it every day. Like, but are you saying that's actually wrong and it's only individual differences, or do you think like the the tolerance is so slow that it doesn't count? I yeah, think. I think it's mostly individual differences. I don't think that it's yeah no I. I don't know. Um, there, there are there are effects that do show tolerance, um, like the effects on your blood pr- pressure, your heart rate, your kidney function, um, those those and anxiety, nervousness, jitteriness that that becomes tolerant in humans. But um, the stimulant effects, yeah, don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So what do you what do you think of somebody like Sir Isaac Newton who drinks seventy two cups of coffee every day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's quite bizarre. But I, what I would guess, like, a, you know, I was sort of joking, he obviously has some polymorphism or something, is that it also could be related to, like, why is he drinking 72 cups a day, right? Like, um, yeah, and I think what you're alluding to is, oh, is it because he wasn't getting the alerting effects after those two cups? But it's also, we have to recognize that caffeinated products have gustatory effects as well, right? They taste, they have a taste. Right? Uh, right, you know, some people drink coffee black. That's due to the fact that they they don't have the same um, number of bitter taste buds. But you know, most of us, not, I don't even know if most, but some of us drink you know frappuccinos and uh, you know things that have syrups yeah. in them and sugar and fat. Right, so mm. you can be 
that is definitely something that you would want more of, right? You're drinking coffee because, or tea, because it's not only the stimulant effects, but you like the taste, right? And you, and that could also be coupled with the fact that you're, you've become tolerant to those um, jittery effects of caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're just basically activating the reward pathway in a different way. And that's, yes, you know, like, could you get addicted to frappuccinos? It, to to a mild extent, yeah, because it's all that sugar and fat that's added into yeah, it. Yeah, sugar, sugar, sugar is possibly more addictive than the caffeine, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, we talked about the downsides, but I'm sure um, everyone is aching to hear the positive effects too, because almost all of our listeners probably drink caffeine, <laughs> so it makes you more alert, a bit more focused, some more mental energy. Um, it even improves memory. Mm-hmm. And that is why I drink coffee every day, obviously. <laughs> oh, yes, that's why. Because you're oh, I got to do the memory boost. <laughs> uh, and although it can interfere with sleep, the plus side is that it does wake you up. So mm. um, I have a little caffeine after I take a nap. So I mentioned I have a little tea in the afternoon. That's usually after a nap. Now, the ideal nap duration is about 20 to 30 minutes. So one trick that has been discovered is the, wait for it, the nappuccino. <laughs> Is that is that a thing? Is that what you have it after is. your frappuccino? You have the nappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> you have it instead. So the uh, this is a this is a public. There's a published paper on the nappuccino. So anyway, um, so hear me out. So caffeine okay. takes twenty to thirty minutes after ingestion to have its full effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So if you drink a cup of coffee or something like it fast, like you just down it really fast mm-hmm. right before your nap, and then you go to sleep, and what? And what happens is just as you're supposed to wake up, your caffeine kicks in and helps you wake up and feel less groggy. So you are, you know, you're getting the nap, but also you're not feeling, you know, as crappy afterward because the caffeine kicks in because it takes some time. So some people who say like, oh, coffee puts me to sleep. What they're, what's actually happening is, I think, they are tired, they need to sleep. They have a cup of coffee because they're tired and they need to sleep. The caffeine doesn't kick in instantly. They fall asleep because they're tired, and then they think the coffee put them to sleep, but it's actually a third factor. Oh, that's wild. And I wonder, too, like, I would, I, I would say this to my students, and I bet this is, yeah, this could be related, is I, I'd say, okay, if you, you have a hard time getting up and you need to make your 8.30 class, get up, make yourself a cup of coffee, go back to sleep for, like, half an hour, and then get up again. So this is probably contributing, right? So you're suddenly, you're... Yeah, kind of yeah. But, but keep alertness. in mind, like, yeah. this 30 minutes that you say caffeine reaches maximum effect isn't 30 minutes after you take the last sip of coffee. The first sip of coffee takes effect 30 minutes later and your last sip, you know, so if you take, that's why you try to, that's why for the nappuccino, you got to down it fast. So, like, maybe an iced coffee <laughs> so you don't pour scalding coffee down your throat. But, uh, yeah, that's why, the, that's why we say drink it fast. I feel like there could be some good branding with, like, nappuccino in there. I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe Starbucks should have like nap pods. Nap pods. And uh, you know, nap you just pods. Da- nap frap. Oh, that doesn't sound right. That that's <laughs> no. All right. Mike's going to edit that out. Okay. Let's okay. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the health the health benefits of caffeine. Yes. So there are some actually tangible physical health benefits to caffeine, right? So um, coffee, but interestingly not tea, may pr- protect against liver cirrhosis, which is um, a disease of your liver that's often as an outcome of consuming too much alcohol throughout your lifetime. 
Heavy coffee use may also protect against hypertension, which is uh, when you have high blood pressure, and that can lead to things like stroke and uh, cardiac events. There's also some evidence about um, potentially being beneficial in the uh, development and onset of Parkinson's disease, which is a neurodegenerative disorder that impacts um, cognitive states as well as motor function. Something there. And then uh, many of us have probably had uh, caffeine in uh, cold and flu and headache remedies, right? So uh, you, you might see that in some of uh, the formulations will have caffeine in them, and they, they often will have that as a sort of an alert or warning, right? And I know, uh, and you, you will hear this from folks sometimes, is that um, some of these formulations that may not only have caffeine, but also, oh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this right, but dexmethorphan or something. Anyway, which is also like a stimulant, but some people, um, oh, it's the opposite. Some people will get a stimulant effect when it's supposed to make you sleepy. Anyway, there's all these really wild things with these cold and flu remedies that some people will say, oh, I took this thing, it was supposed to help me sleep, and it made me stay up all night. So you got to be mindful of that. Well, I feel better about myself that you just encountered a word that's even too big for you. That makes that makes me feel better about my own self-esteem. Ah, and it's going to make <laughs> me hate myself all day. Anyway, um, <laughs> caffeine is also uh, used in preemies, right? It'll stimulate what? breathing. Yeah. And, yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm picturing they've got some like prosthetic breast and a monster drink behind it. And they're like... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's funny. I should have qualified that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's given like uh, like IV. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I mentioned a bit earlier theophylline, uh, which we see higher quantities in tea over ca- coffee. Uh, but this dilates coronary arteries and also um, is involved in bronchodilation. So here's an important point is if you are asthmatic and like I mentioned, some of the asthma inhalers have theophylline in them um, and you don't have access to your uh, asthma medications, make yourself a cup of tea. It has Mm. theophylline in it. Yeah. Like a black tea and you might get some relief. So, yeah. Cool. So, Mm -hmm. so that list I think has some things that are uh, caused by caffeine and some things that are caused by coffee or tea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine because most people consume caffeine that way. Um, so that's that's cool. There are benefits. Okay, so let's let's wrap this up. Let's summarize here. So caffeine has many good effects. It can be good for you, mm-hmm. but you probably shouldn't drink it about six hours before bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can help you think, and it works by blocking adenosine receptors. And too much can kill you, so don't drink (laughs) hundreds of cups of coffee. (laughs) Right, Isaac. Uh, I think that's enough. Uh, You want to go grab a cup of coffee? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Minding the Brain is edited by Mike Contos and is brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University. If you want to support Minding the Brain, please consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Minding the Brain. Minding the Brain is currently looking for sponsors. If your company is interested, please email us at mindingthebrainpodcast at gmail.com. Theme music for Minding the Brain is Plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.